Welcome back to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Booth. With me today is the Reverend Ross Shaver, pastor of Zion Lutheran Church and School in Nampa, Idaho. Folks, I'm so grateful that you've joined us this morning, whether it's on the air, live, or on demand at kfuo.org, or using the KFUO app or as a podcast. I'm just happy you're here. And if you enjoyed listening to Thy Strong Word, would you be so kind as to share your love of the show with your friends and family? And remember, if you have any questions or comments, you can direct them to me at pastorboo at gmail.com, or you can find me on Facebook. Just drop by, say hello. I'm encouraged that you tune in and grow in faith with me and my guests each weekday, so thanks for listening. Well, Pastor Shaver, before the break, we, uh, you know, we, we drew it out just a little bit, right? Because we wanted to save it till after the break, but now we're going to have the warning that Samuel gives on behalf of Yahweh against kings. And that's the text we're going to do now. So these are going to be verses, let's see here, 10 through 18. Here we go. So Samuel told all the words of Yahweh to the people who were asking for a king from him. And he said, these will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them to his chariots and to be his horsemen and to run before his chariots. And he will appoint for himself commanders of thousands and commanders of fifty, and some to plow his ground and to reap his harvest, and to make his implements of war and the equipment of his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive orchards and give them to his servants. He will take the tenth of your grain and of your vineyards and give them to his officers and to his servants. He will take your male servants and female servants and the best of your young men and your donkeys and put them to his work. He will take the tenth of your flocks and you shall be his slaves. And in that day you will cry out because of your king, whom you have chosen for yourselves, but Yahweh will not answer you in that day. Wow, so it seems like Yahweh's response through Samuel is, I'm going to give you what I want, but don't come crying to me when it doesn't work out. Yeah, exactly. What do you think, brother? Take us. Oh, yeah, exactly. I mean, it's this is quite the warning and uh, and ends it in a very, very strong way as well. And, you know, in effect, um, you know, God tells Samuel then to to relay these words to the people and in very no uncertain terms. It's not going to be a pleasant experience. It's not going to go well. And so this warning I mean, it covers seven categories. There's a nice number there too, right? A number of completion. But, you know, it talks about their sons and daughters, um, farmland, taxation of the products of the land, uh, the living property like your slaves and livestock, taxation of the, of the livestock themselves, and then, and then even the people themselves. And again, none of this is, is um, a good experience <coughs> Excuse me for them. It's not going to be a, a positive experience like what they're hoping for when they look around and they see these surrounding cultures and people and uh, the prosperity and how good things are. You know, it's always, you know, the grass is greener on the other side kind of thing. And then you get over there and and what God is telling them is that there's a rot underneath all of this. And 
it's going to infect God's people. And even to the point of, um, I mean, this very last one is, is just uh, horrendous, right? That, that the king is going to enslave his own people. And that, I mean, what a contrast to going back again to uh, verse 8, where God reminds them that he had delivered them out of their slavery in Egypt. And as bad as that was, you have a foreign king enslaving them. And now it's going to be a king of their own making who's doing this same sort of thing. But, I mean, isn't this just the way that that we all live as well, right? We have this constant struggle as as God's people, as saints and sinners. Um, and St. Paul, over and over in Scripture, you know, warns his people, don't fall back into those ways of slavery, right? The ways of your former life. And this is exactly what they're doing and what the people are trying to do when, when um, they ask or they want their own king. It's, it's bringing them back into this place of slavery. And, and then to top it all off, the worst thing comes in verse 18. In that day, you will cry out because of your king, whom you've chosen for yourselves. Right. So no uncertain terms. God's saying, you've done this to yourself. Then he says, but the Lord will not answer you on that day. What a scary, what a scary place mm-hmm. to be in. And the scary thought that, that God turns away and, and refuses to hear these cries of his people. Um, but again, God's saying, I mean, he's warning them. He's telling them this is what's going to happen. And you know, I mean, be careful what you ask for, because it's you're going to get it. So, you know, is this, first of all, is this their king, the one that they're going to get? I mean, it's it's no secret. We all know it's going to be Saul. Right. But is, is it their king or is it all kings? So the people are wanting to be like the nations around them. They want to rely on a strong military leader. Right and not just on God. And you already brought up the grass is greener argument, and, and that's I think that's poignant too, because it's also not just about distrust of the Lord and the way he set things up or being impatient with his timing. It sounds like there's also a sin of discontentment, and that's a message we can learn today too. You know, we our, our, our form of government certainly has its own warts, but how often do we see people looking overseas to other nations and saying, I wish we were like them without even maybe considering what those people and how they experience their government. And, and maybe they look at us and say the same thing. Uh, it's kind of like that line, you know, the uh, democracy is the worst form of government except for all the right. others. Yeah. And um, so I wonder, is this really a, a blanket statement about all kings or is this very specific to them that you're going to have a... a, a I don't want to say a bad king, but you're going to have a heavy-handed king who's going to enslave you because some of these things are well, they just kind of come along with having a king, right? Right. Well, I, I, you know, I think again, the key goes back to what God tells um, Samuel when Samuel is he's upset about this because he feels like it's a rejection of him and his sons as the judge. 
And God reminds them, no, this isn't a rejection of you. This is a rejection of me and of, of the people trying to usurp you know, my authority, God's authority over them and God's promise. And so I don't think it's a blanket statement against kings or monarchies or anything like that, but, but it is a blanket statement over idolatry, over rejection of God, of trying, you know, not trusting in his promise that he has given to his people and, um, and wanting to go their own way. And again, this isn't, this isn't new and it, it happens again in scripture. I mean, one of the places I jumped to, I think of thought of right off the bat when I was reading this again, you know, was just in, uh, in Romans one where Paul writes, you know, how the, how God gave the people up to their own sinful desires. And he finally says, you know, you, you want it and you've, you haven't heeded my warnings, my direction, my care, my promise. So you're going to get what you want. And, you know, in a sense too, that's, that's also what leads to hell, you know, where God act, people actually get what they want. They bear the fruits of their own sinfulness and rely on their own righteousness. And that only ends up in one place. And it's, it's not a place where God desires for his people to go. And, and, you know, kind of going on with that, his promise. And I think, I think this is incredibly important too. His promise of sending his king, the Messiah, still holds, and it still stands, and he still delivers on that. And we see a foreshadowing of that right after Saul, of course, when David comes, right? A man after God's own heart, who then foreshadows the even greater king and the greater David, Jesus himself. Who, who God does sin, God still keeps his promise, even though the people want to want to try to wrestle that away from God himself. And and God fulfills that in in unexpected ways that that people then didn't um, weren't ready for all the time. And and even people today uh, don't fully comprehend, you know, what does that mean? That Christ is our king and that he is the Lord of our life. And he is our savior and that, you know, the earthly kings that we have and government and that sort of thing are, you know, uh, are still gifts that God has given and he could work through those means and those methods. But ultimately, you know, we're called to, to trust, to believe, to rely on, on Christ and not the kings of our own making. While I certainly don't think that Yahweh would have suggested that they just have to take it from Samuel's sons, I do have to point out there's this interesting comparison that you can make between his sons, Samuel's sons, who did not walk in his ways but turned aside after gain, taking bribes, and perverting justice, and they go, well, that's why we're mad, because he's turning after gain, they're turning after gain, they're taking bribes, they're perverting justice. Of course. That's not just the two things they're doing. That's that's indicative of uh, back in Exodus mm-hmm. about and Deuteronomy about the things that you shouldn't do. But then when they just when he describes what a king will do, it's kind of like you think <laughs> you think Samuel's sons are bad. Well, you know, wait till wait till they're perverting justice, but but at the end of a sword. Wait till they're uh, after gain 
but you go to prison if you don't give it to them. Right. <laughs> Wait till they enslave your people. And so that's why I asked you if it was a blanket statement against all kings, because I don't think this is a blanket condemnation of monarchies right. or democracies or uh, republics or uh, parliamentary, constitutionally republics, whatever. I, I, but I do think it's a comment on the reality that so long as you have human beings in control, there will be not only temptation to sin, but there will be actual sin. Right. And I think that speaks to us today when we might find ourselves discontent with our leaders, whether your discontentment has come in the last four years or the last eight years or whatever, regardless of your perspective, if you find yourselves like thinking, well, the church's role is to go out and and make this government, make these princes, make these presidents, make these legislators all Christian leaders. Well, here we have uh, an example that there's no guarantee, even if you were to pick it, even if God were to pick him, and he does in this case, that you're going to get the desired result because this side of Christ's return, anybody short of the Messiah is not going to uh, is not going to be perfectly godly, and and in very well, and very well may actually be a despot like we see here under Saul. Yeah, right. No, I think you're absolutely right. Mm-hmm. Well, we then continue because in the next verses, which actually, let's see here. Yeah, finish up our chapter, mm-hmm. verses 19 through 22. Um, the Lord, Yahweh, does grant Israel's request. So we have uh, Samuel. He's telling him uh, that the, this guy's going to be bad news. You're going to cry out to Yahweh, but Yahweh's not going to answer you. Then verse 19. But the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. And they said, no, but there shall be a king over us, that we also may be like all the nations, and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. And when Samuel had heard all the words of the people, he repeated them in the ears of Yahweh. And Yahweh said to Samuel, obey their voice and make them a king. Samuel then sent to the men of Israel, go, every man to his city. So... This chapter ends with us not finding out who this king's going to be just yet. We'll find that out tomorrow. Right. But but it ends with the people... All right. It ends with verse 19, which says, the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. Well, Samuel didn't really command them to do one thing or the other. He just told them the truth. So I feel like in these words, they refused to obey there's got to be sort of a deeper understanding that, in my, in my mind, they, they, they refuse to heed, they refuse to hear, they refuse to maybe even believe the words of Samuel. Right. Um, that, that what Yahweh was saying is true. They were just convinced that they wanted to be like everybody else. And that is not only a serious um, temptation for us politically, but forget politics. That's a temptation for Christians in general. They look at other churches, they look at other religions even, and they go, why can't we be more like them? Right. Right. Yeah, I think I think that's right. I mean, it's, you know, the people refused, you know, so that's, that's not a passive, you know, it's not a passive ignorance. It's not that they didn't understand what Samuel was communicating and the word of, of God that he was speaking to them. 
it's it's they didn't believe it and they didn't they didn't want to they were so convinced in their own minds that that what they were going to do was going to be the solution to their problems that um that they were they were blinded to the truth and i mean you can't in those previous verses you can't say it in any more clear terms you know that this isn't going to turn out well and it's going to be bad and and when it gets bad again you know you're going to cry out and the lord's not going to answer you in that day and and they don't care and it's just their their flat out misbelief over this and they're so convinced in their own minds and their own hearts of what is right even when it contradicts god's word and what god has said and and like you said you know i mean we're we're tempted to do these same things i mean we we all have fallen into these kinds of traps where we know what that we shouldn't do something but we don't really care you know we want to go ahead and do it because of the the pleasure that it'll give us or you know maybe the earthly gain that we can accomplish or the prestige you know how others might look at us or whatever it may be and um and we just ignore the warnings of god and we say god i you know i, I goes in one ear and out the other and i just want to do what i want to do regardless and and this is a warning that as as christians you know both individually but also collectively that we also have you know we got to pay attention to and we need to be aware and thank god you know that he he still sends us servants like samuel and like pastors today whose whose job is to stand up and say this is the word of the lord and this is the truth this is what god has to say about your situation in life about your sin and about your redemption and who your savior and deliverer and king actually is so you know our part of our prayer always right, is that god would grant his ears to hear and and hearts mm -hmm. to believe in this word and not to reject um not to reject what he has said and what he's promised for us. One part that's striking to me, as the people are refusing to obey, they, they're choosing not to believe Samuel, as you said, they're, they're just, their reason is overshadowing God's clear word through his prophet. As they're turning away from God, Samuel turns back to God and really demonstrates his loyalty, at least I, that's how I see it, in a, in, in a way that's, uh, I guess, is technically unnecessary. Mm -hmm. Verse 21, when Samuel had heard all the words of the people, he repeated them in the ears of Yahweh. Well, that stands out as odd because God knows and hears everything. So Samuel is, and this is how I see it, he, I guess he's honoring the Lord by, by turning to him and I guess bringing to him in, and I'm sure he's also appealing, petitioning for what to do, but it's just interesting that it says he repeated what the people had said to the Lord as if the Lord needed to hear them. Right. Well, no, I thought, yeah, I that kind of jumped out as, as me as well. I think that's an interesting thing. It's like you said, God, I, God knows, but I, the fact that Samuel does, I think, I think in this whole passage, in this whole chapter, I think Samuel's a great, example you know kind of especially to pastors and maybe i'm a little biased because i'm i am one and so i'm reading it like this a little bit but i think it's true you know as, as god's spokesman to his people 
you know, not only are we supposed to speak God's word to the people, but we speak along with God's people back to him. And, you know, that's more than just, you know, praise and thanksgiving and honor and that kind of thing back to God. But that's also, you know, speaking the, the complaints, but even the sins and say, God, you know, this is what your people have said and this is what they do. And, and uh, as pastors, we ought to be taking those kinds of words as well mm. to the Lord and uh, do that and praying for our people and praying for the flock and seeking his guidance. So what, you know, what do we do? And, you know, along those lines as well, it's a good reminder that, um, you know, again, to pastors, if any pastors are listening out there, we're all used to God's people getting mad at us when we do our job and sometimes when we do our job well and sometimes when we fail, but, you know, rejection of of those that God has called in place to speak his word is a rejection of God himself. And so it's a reminder, you know, as well to go back to that and to, um, you know, I mean, Jesus says the same things, right? He who hears you, hears me, and who rejects you, rejects me. So it's a good reminder to that, to, again, that, you know, we are to speak God's word to the people, but also speak uh, the people's words back to God in this in this kind of way, and that includes the good and the bad as well. Well, I think you make an excellent point here, because I guess I was just focusing on the idea that, and it's true, that God wants us to cast our burdens on Him, go to Him, appeal to Him, even though He knows what we right. what we uh, have on our hearts, but He wants us to communicate to Him. But you definitely elevated that argument to somewhere I hadn't thought of, and I love it. That is that as pastors, too— and Samuel is certainly their pastor for all intents and purposes, as we might use the term. He is physically taking those concerns to the Lord. Again, not because the Lord needs it, but because the people need to see that. Right. And Samuel needs to see that. I mean, we don't know for sure, but it's very possible he did this in their presence. Right. But regardless, the Lord's response is obey their voice, which is fascinating because it begins, the people refuse to obey the voice of Samuel. And Samuel has to obey the voice of the people, but God's revealed that that isn't necessarily a good thing. So anyone who wants to use this as a, a sedes doctrina, a, 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 a proof text that pastors have to listen to their people no matter what they say, uh, I wouldn't, <laughs> <laughs> because no. it, turn, it turns out badly for the, for the people. Right. Yeah, no, absolutely. And Samuel then sends them all away. Samuel then said to the men of Israel, go every man to his city, um, basically telling them to go home, nothing to see here. Right. And we don't really find out what happens next until the next uh, text. But as we draw this whole episode and this chapter to a close, uh, what else would you have the people walk away with? Uh, before we finish out today? Well, you know, uh, I guess in summary, these things that we have really that we've covered here, you know, the people, the people of God, they had that this kind of discontentment over the way that things were working and how things were going. And they try to solve that uh, by their own means and by their own efforts. And we do the same things. And we're, we're plagued, I think, especially in our modern culture and times with all kinds of discontentment 
and trying to satisfy these earthly desires and, and or our earthly situations that we find ourselves in. And when we run to, to solutions of our own making, especially doing that which in, and entailing a rejection of God as, as our king and the promises that God has to give, that we find ourselves in a dangerous situation. But I think, you know, overall, I, I think especially as we start to lead, and I, I know you guys will cover this in the next, you know, the next several days too, as, as you continue on with this, you know, God's promise for, for the good and the righteous king still stands. And he still, he does hear the cries of his people. And even though discipline does come at times because of our own sinful and bad choices, God's promise still stands and that salvation and the hope that we have in the King, the Messiah, Jesus himself, is still, he's still for you. He's still, um, that promise still holds. And while we wait for the return of that King and find ourselves in the midst of these kinds of situations, um, good and bad, um, facing the consequences sometimes of our own poor choices, um, the Lord continues to invite us to turn to him in repentance and in faith and trust and belief that, um, that our God is the God of our salvation. He is a king of peace, which brings peace between God and man and between one another. Thanks be to God for that king that he gives to us, Jesus. I think that's an excellent way to end it, this Eastertide. I'd like to thank my guest this morning, the Reverend Ross Shaver, pastor of Zion Lutheran Church and School in Nampa, Idaho. Thank you, Pastor, so much for being on the show. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you. Can't wait to have you on again. Folks at home, on tomorrow's episode, we meet Saul, a handsome and tall young man from the tribe of Benjamin. He goes out to look for his father's lost donkeys, and he travels through several regions, but when he can't find them, his servant suggests that they consult a man of God in the city of Zuf. The man of God is Samuel, the prophet and judge of Israel we've been talking about today. God told Samuel that he will send him a man from Benjamin whom he should anoint as king over Israel. Samuel meets Saul and invites him to a feast. And he tells him that the donkeys have been found, but more importantly, he has a message for him from God. We'll hear about that tomorrow. So until then, may God's peace and blessings be with you all as we pray, Father, keep us in thy strong word. These are the voices of young Lutherans in Mexico City, children who are excited to learn more about their Savior, Jesus. But they need our help, because good Lutheran books for kids in the Spanish language are in short supply in Mexico. To learn how you can help tell Spanish-speaking kids everywhere about Jesus in a language they can understand, go to the Lutheran Heritage Foundation website at lhfmissions.org forward slash Juan316.
In today's episode, we open our Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 8. The people of Israel have had enough of Samuel's sons who twist justice and take bribes. They want a king to lead them, just like the other nations, but they are blind to the fact that they already have a king, Yahweh himself. God commands Samuel to reveal to them the bitter reality of having a human king who will oppress them, but Samuel's warning goes unheeded. Good morning and blessed Eastertide. Today is Monday, May 8th, and you're listening to Thy Strong Word, where each weekday morning we explore the holy scriptures through which God bespeaks us righteous and nourishes our faith. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo of St. John Lutheran Church in Laverne, Minnesota. Thank you so much for starting your week with us. I'd also like to thank our sponsor, the Lutheran Heritage Foundation, whose generous contributions help support Thy Strong Word. The Lutheran Heritage Foundation is a ministry which provides Lutheran resources in various languages, so visit them online to learn more about their translating and publishing work and how to get involved at lhfmissions.org. Well, without any further ado, please join me in welcoming my guest this morning to help us explore and discern and divide 1 Samuel chapter 8. It's the Reverend Ross Shaver, pastor of Zion Lutheran Church and School in Nampa, Idaho. Good morning and welcome to the program. Good morning. Thank you for having me on. Well, I'm excited to have you on. Now, I know that you were a guest of this program uh, before I took over, so maybe over a year ago. But since this is your first time with me, uh, would you mind sharing a little bit about yourself and your congregation and how God is working through you uh, for the folks at home? Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, as you said, I'm at Zion Lutheran Church and School in Nampa, Idaho. I've been here for um, about 12 years now. So um, I've been a part of the congregation even a little bit before that. And my, uh, this is my currently my second call. Um, but have, uh, have had a wonderful experience here as the pastor of this congregation and part of our school. We have a, a classical Lutheran school um, here in town, and that's just been a wonderful opportunity to share the gospel with the people of our congregation and the children of our community as well. So um, one of the other things, I guess, I just uh, finished up my doctorate of ministry through Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, uh, defended my dissertation on house blessings as a uh, blessing in defense of the Christian home. So uh, that's been a wonderful experience as well and very supportive uh, from the congregation and the community as well as I've gone through that whole process. Well, that's great. Wonderful. Well, that sounds like an interesting topic. I think I did hear about that. I must have heard about it, you know, on Facebook or something, some sure. online ramblings of, of you uh, finishing that project. Um, tell us a little bit about that. I think the listeners at home might be uh, interested in your, you know, your elevator speech on what that's about. Oh, sure. So uh, house blessings are a, um, it's a very long, old tradition. There's roots of this going back into the Old Testament, but um, in you know the Christian era, it's, it goes back to the early church as well. Um, unfortunately, it has not been practiced all that often or regularly by a lot of Lutheran congregations and pastors. So it's it's uh, kind of a foreign concept among a lot of just our, our everyday average Lutherans in the United States. But 
Uh, we have a right for it in, um, in our liturgical books um, and always have. So it's, it's always been something that's available. Usually uh, the tradition of it is to do it during the season of Epiphany, uh, which is a wonderful time to have the pastor over to your house as you start off that new year to um, ask God's blessing, his guidance and protection on the Christian home throughout the, uh, this new year. And um, pastors have that wonderful opportunity for some pastoral care and visitation in the Christian home where he may not otherwise have that chance to go and, you know, into that more, I guess, that, that very personal of space, you know, and, and again, to bring God's word to bear on the situation and, and pray God's blessing um, over the house and, and the people that live there and the things that go on in that place. Well, that's great. I'll have to check out your uh, dissertation and, and keep tabs with you to see what you do with it. I, I have to say that I've only participated in a house blessing twice. Uh, once was under my—as uh, a pastor myself, but that was in response to a situation where I had a parishioner who was concerned about uh, some unexplainable activity in her home, and mm-hmm. that was sort of the first line of defense to help, uh, you know, bring— bring God's blessing upon the place and comfort her and that sort of thing. And then the other time was when I was a vicar. My uh, my supervisor was a, a chaplain with the police local police department who just got a new, uh, I guess, a law enforcement center, dispatch center, and jail. And uh, we went and performed a house blessing in the jail. So that oh, was an interesting. Obviously, we had to augment it a bit, but there was basically asking God's blessing upon that place, both for its civil purposes and also for those who, I guess, unwillingly would reside there, that, that there would be not only levels of protection and for them, but also obviously for those who were wrongfully put there, uh, that they would be protected, and those who were not wrongfully put there, that they would be given softened hearts in repentance. So it was—I don't know how approving you are of that use of it, but it certainly was an interesting one that I think was beneficial, at the very least, for the police officers that were involved. Oh, I think that's great, and that sort of thing needs to happen more often, in my opinion. Well, I'll tell you what, we have a little bit to cover today, so I think it'd be worth shifting gears, although I'm very interested in the topic that you're uh, uh, becoming an expert in. But let's start with a word of prayer, and if it's okay with you, I invite you to start us off with that prayer. Sure. So let us pray. Almighty and everlasting God, King of all creation, we give you thanks for this opportunity to hear your word once more and to consider this chapter of of your scripture and this chapter in the history of your people and grant us wisdom and discernment as we look at your word here today and open up our hearts to to listen and to hear what you have to say to us still today and how this passage applies to us so that in all things lord that we may recognize you as our king and our savior from sin from idolatry and from um, death itself. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, so here we are in chapter 8, and it's interesting because before I took up 1 Samuel on this episode, we had just made our way through Judges. And so Judges depicts the, well, unfortunately, the depravity of the people, how far they had departed from the Lord, uh, the need for God to raise up Judges to both 
judge the people for their sins, but also to guide them um, to uh, defend themselves against whatever adversities come their way. Samuel, uh, you know, Samson is like the last judge mentioned in Judges, but Samuel is operating as both a prophet and a judge in these last days uh, of his life. Um, any any sort of background information you might want to give the people before we dive into the text itself, just to catch them up? Well, uh, yeah, I mean, we're jumping into chapter 8 here, but by no means is this the first time that we've heard of Samuel as well. We know um, from the beginning of the book um, how basically he ends up being, um, well, he's, he's a son of Hannah, and he's raised in um, the household basically along with Eli and with his sons. Um, Eli's sons aren't, aren't the best either. Eli isn't really the best um, at what he's been called to do as well. And we have that very familiar story in, in Samuel 3 where he's um, a young man and he hears God calling to him and uh, Samuel mistakes it for Eli at the beginning um, and goes to him a few times before, um, before it comes to light that this is the Lord who is calling him. To, um, to speak God's word to his people. So uh, we have this, um, very again, very familiar story, kind of Sunday school story, and then how Samuel um, judges Israel as well, that he is a judge appointed by God to do these sorts of things and um, to struggle in this sort of way. And then as we get to chapter 8, uh, we kind of fast forward now to the, to the end of Samuel's life where he is an old man and some of the struggles that he is undergoing, as well as the people of God falling back into their old sinful ways. Yeah, by the time he was at the end of his life, we learned, um, I guess that would have been on Thursday, last time we got together, because then we had a free text Friday. But the last time we ran into Samuel in the previous chapter, uh, he was at the end of his life, and verse 16 basically describes him as kind of like a circuit rider. You know, he went on a circuit year by year to Bethel, Gilgal, and Mizpah. He also judged Israel in these places. Uh, but then it says that he would return to Ramah. There he had moved a lot of the uh, the worship things so that he could uh, both be prophet and, and judge closer to his hometown because he built an altar there. Mm-hmm. And we pick up in eight with him, well, uh, becoming very old, and giving his sons the reins. I'm just going to read the first three verses just to dip our toes in what's happening uh, to start our conversation off. So this is going to be chapter 8 of 1 Samuel from the English Standard Version. When Samuel became old, he made his sons judges over Israel. The name of his firstborn son was Joel, and the name of his second, Abijah. They were judges in Beersheba. Yet his sons did not walk in his ways, but turned aside after gain. They took bribes and perverted justice. Now, this is going to cause the elders to get together and, you know, have a word with Samuel. But before we even get into that, um, it's sad that we have Samuel and he is raising up these boys. He makes them judges uh, but they're 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 hanging out with worthless fellows, as the Bible likes to say, or as the Old Testament, at least the ESV, likes to translate it. Um, they're they're not this. They're not really walking the same way that Samuel did. Tell us a little bit about that. Right. So um, unfortunately, we see this kind of thing happen 
um, on occasion as well. And it's almost, um, it, and it's, it's kind of follows along in a line of, of things that have already happened, but we're going to see this again, particularly when it comes to, uh, to like to Solomon and then to his sons as well, where you kind of have a generation that does good and is righteous in the sight of God that believes. And then the next generation uh, does what's evil in the sight of God. And so you kind of, you see that same thing happening here. Uh, so you have Eli again before this and his sons that weren't that great. And then now you get Samuel who is, he's been good, he's been faithful. But now near the end of his life, uh, for whatever reason, we start to see him kind of slipping um, as as well as his sons and that next generation of things going on here. So um, yeah, some it was Eli that I was thinking of, too, because previous to this, when we were introduced to Samuel for the first time when he was just a boy, Eli's uh, own sons were not really walking the same way that Eli was, although we get a little indication that Eli wasn't Eli wasn't that great either. Uh, Samuel, I think, for whom the book is named after, both First and Second Samuel, um, I think we get the impression that uh, he's he is truly faithful or strives to be, right? And um, his sons are just taking advantage of, I would say, his reputation, uh, and also, um, again, there is that that ever present temptation that we have even today. But they turned aside after gain. Right. I mean, if you are the prophet's son and a judge, and I don't, I think those who have been following along with the show understand what we mean when we say judges here in the context of the Old Testament, mm -hmm. in the context of Israel. But there is some judging going on in terms of a judicial way. Um, there's also judging in terms of just leader, lead, being a leader. But yeah, you you have the opportunity and the temptation to enrich yourself from your leadership. Right. Right, and very much so. I mean, like you said, they you see them doing this, um, taking bribes and perverting justice, and those are just two examples of things that you know are routinely condemned in the Old Testament, um, particularly by those in leadership positions as um, as evidence of of their sinfulness and idolatry and rejecting God's provision for them. So, you see, the sons do uh, do the same thing, and. It, you know, in this section too, something kind of unique is happening as well. So, as you said before, Samuel's—he's the last of these judges that come up, and after after Samuel, then you have um, you have these human kings over the country. But Samuel also is the first of the judges to um, appoint his children as judges after him. So previous to this, uh, it's always been God and God's purview to raise up judges for the people of God. And here, um, Samuel, and we aren't given a reason why, but Samuel uh, is, uh, again, appoints his children to do this. And, you know, in a, in a sense, almost is, is attempting to establish some kind of um, hereditary lineage then when it comes to this uh, to these judges. And again, that's not the way that God works in here. And we're going to see you know, similar issues as we go through the rest of the chapter about when, when God's people try to take the reins and do things their way, it doesn't always work out the best. Um, but 
you know, we still struggle with that today. And we think that we know better than God and want to do it our way and what we think is going to work rather than listening to what God has to say. Well, so then it is unsurprising to us when the elders of Israel are upset over this. And now we're going to hear verses 4 through 9. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Behold, you are old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the other nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to Yahweh. And Yahweh said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people in all they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. According to all the deeds that they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are also doing to you. Now then obey their voice, only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. So we have a, we have a long word from Yahweh here. But it begins with them coming to Samuel with what I believe is a valid concern, right? You're right. getting up in years. Your sons are jerks. <laughs> now give us a king. But except for the king part, um, this displeases Samuel, right? He doesn't like the idea of a king judging them. I'm wondering out loud, is Samuel's distaste for a king related to his desire for his sons to continue as elder, I mean, as judges, like you had mentioned earlier, that this first time that someone's appointed their sons to be judges after them? Is it related in his knowledge that God is the king, a little of both? I don't know. I'm just, just like I said, just thinking out loud. You know, I've, I was wondering that same thing reading through here. You know, it doesn't, doesn't necessarily give us an insight into Samuel's thoughts, but... Uh, you know, other than it, it obviously displeases him, and and Samuel takes that criticism, which uh, you know, seems to be a right and a good criticism by these elders of Israel that recognize the sons aren't following in the footsteps of their father. Um, but Samuel, Samuel seems to take it you know, as an insult to himself, and you know, as you said, maybe you know, maybe uh, kind of that fatherly. Uh, protection of his children as well. You know, like nobody likes it when they criticize, you know, your own children are criticized, even when they're right. Um, yeah. So, you know, certainly there's there's an aspect of this. And, and Samuel is, you know, offended because uh, in essence, these elders are seeking to replace him um, and his sons in, uh, in uh, this kind of role and responsibility. Um, even while he's still alive. And again, that doesn't normally happen. Usually a judge dies before another one kind of, or another leader comes and takes the place. And now that these elders are saying, you know, replace yourself, you're already old, your sons aren't going the right way. So uh, let's, let's well, appoint a king. Yeah. And talking about the king, so... <laughs> Again, you know, is it that they are asking for a king that is the problem in terms of rejecting God as their king? Or is it that, you know, God had promised them a leader and they're just, I guess, impatient with God's timing? I mean, I guess what I'm saying is there is something inherently wrong 
with wanting a human king. Is that the problem? No, I don't think I don't think that's the issue. It's it's not that they want the human king. I think what what comes I think the issue is really kind of rests around a couple of things. So it's not that they want the human king side of things, but as you mentioned, you know, God had already promised to um, both that he is their king, but that also uh, he had promised that his Messiah would be their king. And we see this, uh, you know, Genesis 49 talks about this, uh, Numbers 24, Deuteronomy 17. You have you have these promises, and it's like the people now are impatient for that, and so they want to do it themselves. But I think the, the real key here, too, isn't just we want a king, but as it says in verse 5, appoint us for us a king to judge us like all the nations. So they, they want to be like, like the Gentiles. They want to be like all of the others where God has specifically and routinely told them you're to be holy. You're to be set apart. You're not supposed to be like everybody else and do things how everybody else does them. I've called you for something greater and more important. And yet over and over again, uh, they, they slip into this kind of idolatry and uh, covetousness where they see what everybody else is doing and they'd rather do it that way because that seems better than what God has promised them. Well, and that's where we have this rejection of him, right? They have right. not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. Right. But then right. in verse 8 and 9, we get this, I guess, yet another recounting of God reminding, I guess in this case, Samuel, uh, all the things he had done, right? And he also reminds them of the things that they had been doing, right? So I brought him out of the land of Egypt, which is always important for God to remind right. them because it's so easily forgotten, you know, generations have passed. But then he says, they forsook me. They've, they've served other gods, which it's like you had one job. Don't serve other gods of the other nations. And that's exactly what they did is almost as soon as they got there. Right. Um, and so, but he tells them to obey their voice, but solemnly warn them. And we're going to get to what the warning was in here in just a little bit. But I think it's interesting that God says, basically, give them their desire, give them their heart's desire. It, it's it reminds me of other accounts in the Bible, and frankly, even within our own lives, where God lets us have what we want, and then through us getting what we want, we end up being disciplined to realize that God did know after all. Right, better. right. No, I think you're exactly right. And you see this, uh, you said, you know, you see this throughout Scripture, and we see it, we see it time and time again. It certainly isn't the first time that God's people have have slipped into this kind of thinking and this kind of idolatry where they go chasing after the other gods or the desires of their own heart. And, and there are those times, as you said, where God kind of throws his hands up and he says, fine, you know, if you want this so bad, I've warned you already and I've told you. And you know, in chapter eight, we're going to hear more about that. But he says, I told you this and it's not going to turn out well, but uh, you keep pestering me about it. So fine. And then God does, does use that. As you said, it's a good description, right? To discipline us and to teach us not to rely on ourselves, not to rely on 
on uh, human achievement or the way that everybody else is doing it in the world, but, but to trust in God and to trust in his promises, even when he doesn't, uh, or when he seems like he's slow in keeping those promises for us. And that's the tough part. And, and Indeed. I guess the word there is to seems, right? Seems that he is slow in keeping his promises. You know, the people of Israel, including ourselves, man, we are just so impatient with God's timing. And I am not being hypocritical. I am speaking of myself too. So often do I uh, turn to the Lord, even for something that he wants me to ask for, and then get impatient that he's not doing it according to my timing. And I think that's an interesting aspect of this whole situation that people don't often consider. And again, that is that it wasn't necessarily them asking for a king, as you so poignantly pointed out. They they are promised a king in the Messiah, but they're getting tired of of God's ways. Uh, really, if they had only known that it would be quite a while. Uh, but it also reminds us a little bit that God's view of history, including his, the history of his people, is so much more broad than us. It's even broader than our own lives or our own generation. God will accomplish his will sometimes well after we're with the Lord in heaven. And so I think that's really important for us to remember too. You know, the world has existed long before us, will probably, according to the Lord's will, exist after us, and and God's working on a much bigger timescale than than we are. Right, right. Yeah, and he very, you know, it's interesting, too, about this whole passage and this whole time is usually in when, when God raises up judges for the people, they're in a difficult situation. You know, they're oppressed by the Philistines or they're at war, um, or they're feeling the weight of their sin, and so they cry out to God for salvation and redemption, and then God answers that. Well, here, you know, they don't, they're not in the middle of such, an, or not an external crisis, but they are one from, again, from Samuel's sons, who, um, who are taking these bribes, perverting justice, so they're not doing these kinds of ways. And they could have done what they did in the past, cry out to God for a judge. Or they could have said, God, you promised a king, so you know, make good on your promise and send us that king that you've promised. But that's not what they do. They, they want to do it themselves, and they want Samuel to be complicit and uh, and basically give his blessing upon that, and again take that control away from God because for whatever reason they feel God is is um, too slow again in doing this, and and they don't like the way in which he's been handling it, so they want to do it themselves. Well, he does tell Samuel though to obey their voice, and he yes. says, "But you should warn them and show them the ways of the king who will reign." over them. We're going to hear about just that king, how Saul, uh, Samuel rather is going to warn them about the king to come, but we're going to have to do it after these messages. Folks, don't go anywhere. When we come back, Pastor Shaver and I will keep on going through 1 Samuel chapter 8. We'll see you on the other side. 